The text for the message this morning is Philippians 4, verses 10 to 23. You can find that on page 982. Let me read it together. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, just thinking about the passages we read this morning, it's very clear that Scripture teaches us that financial giving is like a window that reveals what you believe about God's grace to you in Christ Jesus. The passage we read in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15, it connects confessing the gospel of Jesus Christ with being generous in the ministry of service. People who are thankful to God for his work will supply the needs of the saints. The Lord extends this privilege of showing thanks to everyone so that even the needy are provided with enough so that they too can share in the privilege of giving to the Lord and to his church. No one who shares in the sufficiency of Christ is excluded. And in this clear message that we could read, the question right away comes to each one of us. We can ask ourselves, what does is, what is my financial giving show about my spiritual life? Christians know that generosity is a sign of spiritual health because it is only when God is working in our hearts that we will want to support 
the ministry of the gospel with our gifts. And it is this spiritual health that captures Paul's attention when he wrote his letter to the church at Philippi to thank them for the gift that they had sent to him. Now even though Paul is long dead and even if you wanted to send him some money, you, you wouldn't be able to. He no longer needs our gifts. This text continues to be in Scripture. It's here before us to consider because through it the Holy Spirit is teaching us some important principles. He's explaining what he continues to do in our hearts today. And as we study Philippians 4, we learn important principles about how God supplies for the needs of his people through our gifts and what is expected of us as Christians when there is a need. In all cases, physical need and spiritual need, the, the whole letter and, and also this chapter lifts our eyes up to God with contentment, thanking him for his gracious provision and giving him glory for the privilege of participating in his gracious care in our lives and the lives of his church. And if we compare the introductory comments that we read in chapter 1 with the conclusion in chapter 4, verses 10 to 20, we find that the theme of the, the whole letter can be found in God, in God's provision. Verses 19 and 20 of chapter 4 capture it perfectly. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I preach to you this gospel under this theme, glory to God who meets all our spiritual and physical needs in Christ. And we praise him that we may be concerned partners in the gospel and content recipients of his grace. The clear message of the passage we read today is that generous giving to the ministry of the gospel is a sign of a thankful heart that has been transformed by God. And that is why Paul says in verse 10, he says that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He rejoiced in the Lord greatly when he received as a messenger of the church at Philippi a man named Epaphroditus who came to minister to his need. Epaphroditus came and, and Paul rejoiced greatly in the Lord. And since it's a very strong expression to say that he rejoiced greatly, it's used when people hear about the, the resurrection the first time, then they rejoice greatly. It's, it's a very strong word. The apostle feels the need to make it clear that his joy is found in the evidence of God's work in the hearts of believers and not because he loves money, he loves the comforts of life so much. In 4 verse 17, he says it clearly. So I rejoiced greatly in the Lord when this gift came. But then he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases 
to your credit. He got the care package, and, he, and, he, and perhaps before he even looked at to see what was, what was all included, just receiving the package, he, he right away, he rejoiced in the Lord for the concerned hearts that gave it to him. The generosity of the church is clear evidence that his preaching had taken root. The Spirit had worked it into the hearts of the believers. The generosity of the church is a work of the Holy Spirit. And then the, the Holy Spirit, he, he mentions the details of this generosity so that today we can see what elements of giving are commendable and praiseworthy in God's eyes. So we look at our text and we see that the Holy Spirit commends the Philippians because even when there was no opportunity to send a gift, they were concerned for Paul in prison in Rome. You can see that in, in verse 10. They were concerned for Paul. They were not just concerned about where their money was going. They were concerned for the, the work of the ministry, the preaching of the gospel. And then the language that Paul uses compares the Philippians to a tree in the winter, a tree that, that lies dormant when the weather is too cold to produce leaves, but it has all the potential to do so. And then when the weather improves immediately, it, it sprouts the leaves. And so we see the, the whole picture. The Holy Spirit completes the picture of what Christian partnership in the gospel looks like. He shows us it in a very practical way. After we are made aware of the needs, of the gospel needs that we are responsible for, Christians will want to find someone who is able to go and to do the work for us and to fill what is lacking in our service. We looked at that in Philippians 2, verse 30. And then when we find someone to do the work for us, this does not mean that our involvement comes to an end. Rather, the supporting churches are still called to pray for the workers they have sent. There's an ongoing connection and to be genuinely concerned about the work they're doing and about their well-being. And we look at our text, we can see that Paul is praising this attitude of concern and eagerness to help that is visible in the churches. And like a tree sprouting leaves in the spring, so also the Christian church in Philippi revived their concern for the missionary they were supporting as soon as the opportunity came. And so in his thank you letter, Paul calls the Philippians kind, verse 14. He calls them kind to share his trouble. He doesn't just say, thank you for the things you gave me. But he says, thank you for standing beside me. Thank you for putting yourselves in my shoes and making it clear that I am not alone and abandoned and out here by myself. In the same way, the, the Holy Spirit is showing that 
personal and financial support of, of the different workers in, in God's kingdom. They're not just tools we use to relieve some suffering or to feed a gospel preacher, but they are truly manifestations of our own partnership, our own involvement, our own trust, our support. And what a blessing it is to be known as a kind congregation in the eyes of God. A congregation that shares in the troubles of those they have sent out as concerned partners. And we can think about that every time we, we set somebody apart to take care of a, a task that needs to be done in our congregation locally, maybe in our town, maybe even abroad. The Lord praises the kindness of the congregation that supports those they have appointed. The depth of their commitment that the Holy Spirit praises is further explained when he, when he praises the believers in Philippi. It's in verses 15 and 16. He praises them for attaching themselves to the apostle ever since the beginning when he left Macedonia and for sending him help not just once but again and maybe even that's a way of saying again and again and again as I needed it. When I was in Thessalonica, it's verse 16. And in their care for Paul, they showed their love for the gospel preaching and they showed that they loved that preaching as much as he did. And so Paul knew that he could count on them for their prayers, like we see in chapter 1, verse 19. He could count on them for this partnership in, in giving and receiving. And the Holy Spirit is commending the church that is loyal. He is commending the church that chooses an area of focused mission and, and dedicates themselves to this support. We can take note of his praise, the Spirit's praise for partners who cooperate with the, the ministry of the gospel with loyalty and with commitment so that they can be counted on for all the different stages of the work that needs to be done. And then Paul continues on in, in verse 18, and he uses the language of commerce and trade business language to arrive at his triumphant conclusion in his thank you letter. And he says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now for the ears of those receiving this letter, it was like Paul was reading an invoice or a receipt to the church in Philippi. And it's very possible that that Paul writes these words to the Philippians even in a, in a light-hearted and a, in a humorous way after emphasizing how thankful he is for the concern that they had shown to him. It's like he, he opens up the, the gift and, and, he, and he says, this is an excellent gift. Nothing is lacking in your generosity toward me. Here is the receipt to confirm full payment and if you look at the bottom, I added a little, a little note that says, and more. It's like a guest in our house who 
relieves our stress and concern by telling us that they had a good night's rest and a lovely meal. They're having a, a wonderful time. So Paul assures the church in Philippi that he is satisfied, he's encouraged to see God's hand in their lives. And now it's noteworthy again to see that when Paul thanks the church for taking such good care of him, he doesn't just think, oh, good for me. Now I can keep doing my mission work. The gift isn't just for him. He also thinks, oh, good for my concerned partners. Paul didn't seek the gift. He was seeking the fruit that increases to the supporting church's credit. That's in verse 17. And so Paul continues to use the analogy of business and investment when he talks about credit. There are many benefits to those who are led by the Spirit when they are concerned partners in the church's mission. Paul rejoices over the credit, over the benefits, over the fruit that the giving churches may receive because he got the gift. Not only do the believers share, have the privilege of sharing the work of mission, like we read in, in chapter 1, how they were partners in imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. That's verse 7. But they could see the compound interest, to use business terms, they could see the compound interest on their gifts, the credit increasing. Their gifts gave the believers themselves evidence of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Their gifts gave them the joy that they could know that Paul was well supplied. But the increasing fruit of their gifts could also be seen in verse 21 and 22. Could be seen in the greetings that were coming to them from the saints, including those of Caesar's household. Imagine that, you, you give a gift to a missionary and, and, you, and you find out that even Caesar's household now is brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And Paul points to that as well as increasing credit, the compound interest. These believers could now be added to the account, the credit account in the church in Philippi. They supported a worker whose suffering served to further the advance of the gospel. He talks about that in chapter 1, verse 12. And every believer that came to the faith through this work was considered a part the increasing fruit of their gifts. And then we see how God supplies every need. Physical donations can bring spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings result in physical generosity, and it all comes from God. It's helpful. Brothers and sisters, it's encouraging. It, it, it motivates us also to see our increased fellowship and unity with believers and churches 
in other places in our province and in our country and other places in the world to see them as interest gained on our gifts. And we praise God for the opportunity to be concerned partners in the gospel proclamation. All of us who had the privilege of being at the, the meeting between the council and the congregation, and, and it's, a, it's a meeting for the young and the old, we could see a presentation, a description of all the work that the congregation is, is involved in, the, the increasing fruit of our, our generosity as a reason to, to praise the Lord. And every once in a while we get, we get newsletters in our mailboxes and we can read of, of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who have come to the faith because of our partnership in the gospel. That's fruit. And we praise God for this fruit and those who receive it. Like Paul, they say, I am so thankful for you, you who gave these gifts. It's to your credit. And yet none of this would matter if our work did not bring glory to God. And the Holy Spirit assures us that gifts and support that Christians give to one another, he calls them a fragrant offering. You can see it in verse 18. He says it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. And so when Paul saw the gift, he didn't just think this is good for me. He didn't just think this is good for me and for the people who gave it. He says this is good for me, for the people who gave it, and for the glory of God. The fragrance of the offering. When you read through the Old Testament, you read many times about the offerings, and then the Lord says that the offering has a pleasing aroma. It's something that, that pleases the Lord. And that's the language that Paul is, is using here, and, and it explains to us, it reminds us very clearly that God himself loves to see the devotion and the love and the care of his people as they, they walk beside him through this life. He loves to see this devotion to him, this, this overflowing thanksgiving. The confidence that God is the one who supplies everything and, and the, the lack of attachment to the things here on earth. He loves to see it because it increases those who praise him. His church is built up, strengthened not only physically but also spiritually. And since God is the one who is supplying all our needs according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. But we can always be content in all circumstances. The Holy Spirit teaches us also what it looks like to be on the receiving end of God's grace through his congregation. Here we can picture it. Paul's in a prison Far away, he's in Rome, no email, probably no smartphones, a difficult time, a delay in communications from him and the people in Philippi, and there, there could be delays in time between one visit and a letter and another. 
And so it's not hard to imagine for us, and, and even the children can imagine a person in, in prison feeling quite distant from those who he preached the gospel to, and then all of a sudden, a package comes, a, a, a person comes, Epaphroditus, and, and he's bringing a gift. He said, I'm here to help you. You can imagine the joy, the embrace. And so Paul talks about that. But again, he qualifies his joy so no one thinks it's a selfish joy. He points to the joy of seeing the thoughtfulness of others. And I think when we think and as we talk about being content and as we read this passage and we think it's good to be content, what does that, that look like? We could see in the first place it's this appreciation, the ability to see and give thanks to God for the thoughtfulness of others. It's the thoughtfulness of others that already can bring contentment. You'll notice I've changed the wording. Sometimes we say it's the, it's the thought that counts, but I know how we use that. It's when the gift isn't very good, and we say, well, it's the thought that counts. We comfort the other person that way. But if we look at it carefully, what Paul is celebrating is the thoughtfulness. It's the, the thought, the idea to give the gift, but it also includes the, the effort put in bringing the gift and then the content of the gift itself. The fact that someone cared enough to think about what you might need. It's a, a source of contentment. The time that someone took to, to leave their own work and their own business, to, to put pen to paper, to express their support. It's the thoughtfulness that counts. And as God's people, we, we pay attention to that, thank, that thoughtfulness. Now, as one of those who have gone to, to far away places that you were unable to, to go to, as a family, and if you may permit me to thank you personally, it's true. We praise God first of all for how you, as a congregation here in Emmanuel, you, you shared in our trouble. You showed your love with financial support. You, you, you cared enough to, to be concerned about a family that, that lived far away, Brazil at the time. And now today, serving as your pastor, the same can be said. And I mention these things not to draw attention to myself, but far be it from me to do that, but to show and to reflect that the Spirit, the Spirit's work being revealed in Philippians is a work that continues. We continue to praise the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the work of the church today. Philippians, the gospel isn't something that we talk about in the past. It's something we celebrate today in the present. It's good for the congregation to know that every year the leaders of this, this congregation, they send a delegation to speak to their gospel preachers 
to ensure that they have what they need to carry out their ministry. And when the visit was made this year, the elder and the deacon, they even read Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13. It was such a wonderful blessing to, to celebrate together and say, it was kind of you to share my trouble. The Spirit continues to work in his people today. The gospel is real. The work of God is real. It's, it's a visible thing. You could say today as a, as a preacher, as a servant, I have received full payment. I can, receive, I can read the receipt. Your thoughtfulness, concern, does not go unnoticed. It's the source of much joy. It's, it's the evidence of the work of the Spirit. It's, an, it's a sign of thanksgiving to God. And so we can praise God together for the concern, for the willingness that he has given to every one of us as a congregation to be loyal, to be committed to the ministry of the gospel in this city, for the wonderful cooperation we can enjoy together as, as those who send and those who are sent, as those who are, are busy and those who are busy supporting for the notes, for the time you take out of your busy day to send a text, encouragement, support to those who are involved. We mentioned that also already at the beginning as we were looking at Philippians, that love between those whom God has sent and the, the congregation around them. The blessing of that support. And as we, we look at that, we, we don't just talk about it. We celebrate it. Now it's happening. And we praise the Lord. And then we see that the whole text is very clear also about the, the attitude. What's the godly response to the church's eagerness to cooperate in the gospel? What's the proper attitude to work, to financial stability, possessions? Well, the Paul, in our text, the apostle, he approaches the question by helping us to think about what constitutes need. And as we read his words, we can see that, that Paul himself would would need to be in a pretty dire straits before he felt that he was in need. If you look at where he was in prison, and, and he says, not that I'm in need. He's locked up, he's separated, he's away from everyone. He says, not that I'm, that I'm in need. And we ask, well, what would it take for Paul to feel like he was in need? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 8 says, as long as I have food and clothing, it's enough. Physically, he speaks about the minimum. But he could speak this way because he knew an important secret. A secret that we should also never forget. It is the secret of contentment. He says in verses 11 to 13, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what does being content mean? Being content means recognizing that we have enough. Being thankful that our needs have been met in a pleasing way. And we see the less needs that we have, the easier it is to meet those needs. And the less we confuse the things that we want with the things that we need, then the less anxiety we will feel, the easier it will be to feel content. And so what is the secret to being content is to understand what we have. The Ten Commandments declare the secret when they tell us not to have any other gods before the Lord. He is the fullness. He is everything. He supports us as we need it. And then he go, the other commandments, the second to the ninth, teach us to, to see what God has given to us and not to desire anything beyond that. Chapter 10 summarizes, don't covet your neighbor's spouse, your neighbor's home, your neighbor's job, your neighbor's equipment, his farm equipment in the case of the 10th commandment. And Paul points to the secret when he concludes that he can do all things through him who strengthens him. This text is often taken out of context to suggest that Jesus Christ will equip us to do anything that we want, but the context makes it clear that it means that Paul is certain that he will always have sufficient physical and spiritual strength to fulfill his mission. And that's what he needs as long as we are in Christ, we can be assured of a sufficiency to carry out the task the Lord has given us. And today we can see that we can be content in Christ because in him we are able to glorify God. As Paul describes his personal experience of being brought low to hunger and also experiencing abounding wealth and plenty, he shows us that when you have the secret of contentment, the abundance and the poverty don't actually matter. What matters is that we are in the will of God, that we are remaining able to remain faithful to his calling. Paul found contentment in the knowledge and the presence that God was present with him, in, in the loving relationship with a father who was holding him, and then in the peace that this brings. A couple, sometimes you, you hear, read about a couple, they're not very wealthy, they say we don't need the money because we have the love. A couple who finds contentment in their love, they do not base their joy on the amount of their possessions. But in the same way, that true blessing of fellowship and friendship and the ability to walk with the Lord, that is the source of our contentment. That's what Paul is saying. I know riches, I know poverty, but what really matters is that I am in Christ. That is where I find sufficiency. 
And then we see in Christ that God always supplies our needs. We get to verses 19 and 20. The knowledge God will always supply what we need. In every situation, God equips us to fulfill that calling in Christ. When we are hidden in Christ, when we find joy in his righteousness, the risen and victorious Lord before whom every knee in heaven and earth will bow, we see that he cares for his body, the church, and he equips Christians to humbly serve one another, to be focused on serving one another with prayers, with financial support. And so, dear Christian, when you look at your life, rejoice in the Lord. For the promise for you in Christ Jesus is that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He blesses us lavishly on a scale worthy of his riches so that we can seek to glorify him in our task and calling. He supplies every need. We are able to do all things in Christ who strengthens us. And so we conclude to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen.